Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ah, so I'm excited. Don't, don't tell Joe yet. He's, I won't. He doesn't know. They, they try to keep me in the dark about you'll these be, things. You'll be happy about well, and you, there's a I lot think, I don't know about the filmmaker, so you might know more than okay. I will. So, um, well, it's actually I'm it was going, an excuse for me to go back and watch a film I had not seen since about 1974. Which oh, okay, be very happy. That's exciting. And, uh, yeah. yeah, Nancy and I watched it the other night, and it was just. And I, my wife does not laugh aloud at very often at movies, and she was how we'll get into it when we get into yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, But. Um, and then, you know, I don't know if you know, we got our first big press this week. You know, got, we didn't yeah, get the so press. Yeah, so be sure to badmouth some Exorcist other movie. Exorcist got the press. <laughs> what happened? Uh, Bill Friedkin came on, and during his very opinionated... Uh, well, and, he said Vince very, Foster and, was murdered. And he very, said Bob Woodward's a lying piece of shit. Nobody cared. And then he said Exorcist 2 is a terrible movie, and that got a lot of press. For some reason, if that was what people picked up on, and now there's all this publicity, which is good for us because nobody knows we exist. Yes. Uh, yeah. about, about Bill Friedkin saying that, the, that Exorcist 2 which he's only seen 40 minutes of, oh. is the worst 40 minutes in the history of motion pictures. <laughs> and which is... I would think know, of I that actually, entire I, interview. Which is, I, by the way, ridiculous. It because, is ridiculous. <laughs> because it's actually a pretty interesting... I've seen one. I was going to say, I, I know a lot of people who, they don't compare the two films, no, but I've really seen appreciate it, I've things seen it about a couple Exorcist of times, too. And I, I think, uh, although it's a howler in yeah, terms yeah. of... it's, it's la When the movie opened, you know, people were coming out of the theater and telling people in line not to go in. I mean, it was that unpopular even oh. at the beginning. I've, I've never seen the whole thing. That's why they recut it quickly. Like, like they made yeah. cuts I see. for whatever reason. But which is not they put it all back together. In. But production-wise, it's one of the most interesting and offbeat movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've, it's got a Morricone score. It's beautifully photographed. It's, 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 it's unfortunately dramatically ridiculous. Right, right. But it's got a lot of really interesting ideas in it, too. So I, don't you me, think also, Joe, that a lot of movies are dramatically ridiculous? It's just a question of how well you like, how many chips you put on the table and say, like, are you all in with me as an audience or not? Right. Yeah, but when it's, uh, it's handicapped by the fact that it's an old movie, which makes it automatically laughable. Right. It's it, a it lot feel, of people. It, it's a lot yes. Of people. Yeah. Yeah. Right, you right, know, right. Any, any old movies are already, like, the way people used to live. <laughs> Uh -huh, can't uh -huh. take this seriously. I see. Sweet smell of success. There's nobody. Nobody talks like that. Right. Um, but in this case, I just thought, you know, I remember even at the time being rather taken with it, even though people around me were like in stitches. I'm, I'm kicking the mic, apparently. Why are you kicking the mic? Because I'm in a bad mood, Joe. It's another one of you. Yeah, okay, so pop quiz before we get started. Uh, Exorcist 2 or Forrest Gump? Oh, Exorcist <laughs> 2 in a minute. I would never watch Forrest <laughs> Gump again. I'm like, I mean, there's Forrest Gump so, is one of the most to say, he was politically yeah. reprehensible But we can movies. all agree that it, Billy yeah, Friedkin was like wrong. That's like saying, <laughs> would you rather die in your sleep or be eaten alive by cockroaches? <laughs> I think I'd choose um, the former. Right. I don't know. I was just sort of thinking of just random. Random bad movies. Random bad movies. People like that. people like. Yeah. yeah. And again, I don't want to badmouth again because he was wonderful. But we are all in disagreement with, with Brother Friedkin. I, think. I don't think they like to see, uh, <laughs> like Forrest Gump again when they see it. Yeah. But should we actually start officially? Well, I think you ought to. You've already done enough for two podcasts. I haven't even recorded anything. <laughs> okay. So she's been prepped. She knows she needs to badmouth. Oh, um, not good at that. <laughs> 
This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. is uh, Karen Kusama, who's um, the director of the film Destroyer, um, starring, interesting film, it stars an actress named Nicole Kidman, who bears almost no resemblance to the actress Nicole Kidman, yeah. except that she's incredible. <laughs> um, it's an amazing film. Go see it. Uh, Karen is a uh, fellow Trailers from Hell guru. Um, tell me if, I, if I'm getting things wrong, but mm-hmm. burst on the scene with a wonderful girl fight, mm-hmm. um, introduced the world to Michelle Rodriguez, mm-hmm. uh, made a movie I love, um, really, really love, and I think is due a reappraisal. Uh, Jennifer's body is mm, such you. a such a smart, funny, and and I, I think I mean a year or two ahead of its time. Not and and somehow just missed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you put that film out today, you would not have gotten because you caught some slings and arrows. Yeah, I sure undeserved. did. But a wonderful film. And then um, a year before last, last year, a movie The Invitation, mm-hmm. which was um, not only wonderful, features my a, favorite Kusama. Oh. oh well, okay, thank fine. you. Features a brief shot of my house. Oh, um, I love it. I'm one of the one of the houses whose lights go out at the end. Oh, okay, um, yeah, okay. you can pay me afterwards. It's all right, because <laughs> nobody. And of course, destroyer. And then, and then, just on a personal level, um, my my uh, as much as I'm a fan of those movies, um, I'm constantly irritated when we do trailers from hell, and I say, uh, "There's always one movie I want to do," and Joe goes, "Oh, Karen's doing that one." Um, <laughs> Point Break. You did Point Break, which is just, I, I guess. I was surprised nobody had at that I, point. Yeah. You know, we, sometimes people do a, tra- a, a trailer again. I mean, we have a number of trailers that have been Dueling. done by a couple of different uh-huh. people. I, I think it was when we first stopped, you first said we could go beyond 1980, and that was probably like the first thing on my list, and you went, oh, no, cards. <laughs> yeah, it might have been first on which, my which, list, Which, by the way, not that we're supposed to talk As about. As was Near Dark and Blue Steel. So. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> All of um, which are good commentaries, which you and, can look up right now. Oh. Yes, and, and and good films. Um, uh, wait, I lost my thought. You made me, I was going to say something. Uh-oh. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> clip, I'm clip, sure it was. Clip. Oh, yeah, no, point break. We're not supposed to talk about your work, but about others. But I did want to say, in the and you couldn't say this to a lot of filmmakers because I don't think people get it, but I really did see a lot of point break in Destroyer. Um, oh, especially, nice. I kept waiting for Anthony Kiedis to come out of one of those rooms. I know, with a it, fighting over a lawnmower. Um, yeah. You know that's really nice to hear because um, Point Break was is is such an important movie to me, and I don't think I mean, I, you know, when people say, "Oh, I can see the influence," or "I see how maybe you know you're referencing that movie," it's it's almost like kind of the Holy Grail. I'm like, no, 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 don't let's not talk about Point Break. That's like that's too big of a movie for me, right, you know. Right. So. Um, but God, yeah, I love that movie so much. Yeah, it's fantastic. I literally talk. I, there, are, there are maybe five films where I'll just say it. I, I can just speak back to the screen, you yeah. know, with the characters. And um, people are like, will you stop doing that when we're watching movies <laughs> together? Like, it's like, Across God, the why line, are you suddenly. People got hurt. Yeah, yeah, going yeah, down. yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there's so much opportunity for doing that in that yeah. particular movie. So yeah, I'm always amazed because I remember it had this sort of bad rap when it came out and I saw it and I walked out going, is it me? I, did I see a different movie? And it Oh, just, it's a great film. And people talk about it as though, you know, it's like sh- 
they think you mean, yeah, it's so good, it's it's so bad, it's good. And it's just like, no, it's fucking great. And also I think that's like a way that we talk about movies that make us, I don't know, that even if they entertain us, still make us, God forbid, have to think about anything. Right. Even if it's about the nature of movies or about the nature of farce or theatricality or the falseness of movies. Any movie that puts that in your face, right? I think, gets people a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And so it was easy at the time, I think, to pretend that somehow that movie wasn't as good as it was. And now I think it's pretty easy to say it's yeah. still a standard most filmmakers can never live up to. Well, there's been kind of this acceptance genre. of Keanu over the years. Well, that, I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah, that there was something inherently ridiculous about his performance, but... But that's what makes it work, in my opinion. If he had played it really serious, I think it actually would have been actually ridiculous. Yeah. But the fact that there was this farcical element to his performance yeah. made it so much more fun. Yeah. And that combined with Swayze's intensity. Was oh, like, my I God. Just, yeah, they do. just don't get the spiritual side of it. <laughs> um, you know? We can just talk about that for an hour. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I also, I'm obsessed with that. We are, the, the, the fact that you have an ex-jock FBI agent and a spiritual surfer dude, and you have Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, mm. and she cast them in the wrong parts. Mm -hmm. You'd think. Mm -hmm. I think also that makes that film just. It was a really fresh casting. It. it was yeah. like that kind of thing, too, where it's like, I don't know, Patrick Swayze, really? And then he just totally owned that role. Yeah. So It's almost like casting Nick Nolte in the Eddie Murphy part in 48 Hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and vice versa. Right. But we're not here to talk about um, one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, although we could. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I asked Karen, we have the usual sort of pre-show conversation and um, uh, you want to talk about a filmmaker. Um, I do. Do you want to, do you want to let us clue I us do. in? I do. I want to talk about Michael Ritchie. Um, I... I feel like Joe is smiling. Not, who, who doesn't smile at my yeah, no. yeah. I mean, I feel like so many of his films are so important to me. And what's interesting when I really look at his career is how so many of them are, are important in completely different genres. And, you know, it's notable when you think about his career that he made once he was making features, cause he did a lot of TV, a lot, a lot of TV as well. Um, but he made a lot of features in his shortish life. I mean, he died, I think, when he was like 62. Mm. Um, but his first feature film, I believe, was um, about a downhill skier. Downhill played by, racer. Downhill racer, played by uh, Robert Redford. And in his career, he kept going back to sports. He, he, he did, and this is, not, this is not a complete filmography, but to give you a sense of, obviously, his interest in this, Downhill Racer, uh, Semi-Tough, The Bad News Bears, Wildcats, oh, right. Digs, Digstown. Digstown, yes, the boxing. Um, I feel, and I feel like there are a couple more in there that I'm just forgetting. But it's really interesting because obviously this idea of winning and losing is really and, – and whether or not you play by the rules. We throw in then. Well, then you can throw in smile. Smile, yeah. Well, and then yeah. and, and the candidate. Um, yeah. So, and so the then candidate. there's yes. the candidate and smile, which right. are hugely important films to me. Yeah. And then utterly weirdly, in between Downhill Racer and the candidate, Prime Cut, which is a, a really great, strange movie with Lee Marvin and Gene Hackman and a really young Sissy Spacek. 
Lee Marvin and the boys are coming to town. Gene Hackman and his boys are waiting for them. Nick. Marianne. You eat guts. Yeah. I like them. Talk now, eat later. And it's just... It, a movie that could not be made today. I don't think it could get made. I'm amazed it got made then. <laughs> but but, but I mean, it's pretty, it's really grisly. I mean, yeah. it's actually when you think about what the movie is and when you get to the this, there's this amazing moment where um, Lee Marvin's character kind of visits Gene Hackman in in his, I guess it's like the auction block for the girls he traffics in. And he finds Sissy Spacek like drugged in a pen, like in a barn. Yeah. All these girls are in lying in hay. It it's it's so crazy because it's like um, totally open about where I don't know about the real dark origins of and the acceptance of it. A- absolutely, and it doesn't feel that different from right now. I mean, I you know I watched that movie and I think you know weirdly this movie was always on to something very true yeah. um, but then you also have megastars I mean there's something about the fact that he worked so frequently with Redford with Gene Hackman with Bruce Stern with Walter Matthau I mean he had some really big movie stars at the time uh, Burt Reynolds and Chris Christopherson Goldie Hawn. I mean, you know, it's like he has um, the ability, it seems, to work with a lot of different kinds of people and make a lot of kinds of movies. You know, and then I'm not even including in all of this something he was uncredited for, which was Student Bodies, mm-hmm. which is sort of the original scary movie. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, it's, that's it's, right. It's, How do I not know And that? Scream. It's uh, the original Scream as well. Yeah. yeah. And so it's there's something about the fact that that movie is so crazy and funny so crazy and funny and so meta. And I'm not sure why his name isn't on it. Do you know why, Joe? Uh, it's, it's something to do with a dispute about... Uh, the final cut? The final cut. and um, It's funny. It's, I'm trying to imagine what, what could have been the dispute because it's it's like an absurdist... I mean, it's such a crazy movie. I, it didn't I guess. get much distribution. No, but that was a movie that I was sort of led to by a friend of mine who's a horror movie... Mm-hmm. just aficionado. And he said, oh, you know, this is a great movie just to see the send-up of every post-slasher... Babysitter. Yeah. yeah. It just every um, every cliche made hilarious. Uh, yeah, Mickey Rose and a writer is credited. Huh. It's his only credit. Um, yeah, that's I interesting. I saw it in Jersey Drive-In. Yeah, but see, that would be so fun to yeah. see it that way, yeah. I would think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw it on a VHS tape, which is another fun way to see it with a bunch of people. And Prime Cut was another one of those movies where it was like, we just have to check out this crazy-looking movie because I had also really been interested at that point already by having seen um, Downhill Racer and The Candidate. But but one of my favorite movies, literally of all time, a Desert Island Blu-ray, would have to be Smile. The most popular spectator sport in America is not the Super Bowl or the Olympics or the World Series or the heavyweight championship. It's the beauty pageant. From the moment she's born, every girl is eligible. All it takes is a pretty face, a little talent, a lot of luck, 
and a great big smile. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, smile. The story of a teenage beauty pageant. The girls who enter it, the people who run it, and what it does to a small American town. Just be yourselves and keep smiling. Which that's the one, by the way, I was talking about earlier. Oh, I mean, it's just sublime, sublime entertainment. You know, like such an affectionate loving portrait of this really sick business but it's so funny and so well done there's something and there's so many amazing faces in it well Amer- americana was his specialty it really you know? was and 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 smile is as a it's as dark as it is it's so dark it's very funny it's, yeah oh it's yes both very dark and very very funny and manages somehow to make you feel good walking out of the theater. Well, you also, the thing that got me, and again, I've got a sort of granular recollection of it now because I just watched it a few days ago, but the, um, as Bruce Dern, as Bruce Dern is in that movie, I mean, that was that period oh. when he was so kind of oily and, oh, yeah. and he's such a not attractive character in the film. No. By the time it's done, there's that moment when he walks up to the two Marine guards. I know. And they're rolling up the flag and he's just got this like, yeah, I was one of you guys and- they sort of look at him and then they go, you know, uh, hey, how about that girl's jugs? And they walk away and just the the look on his face, you feel for him. His whole dream, you realize he's actually sincere about his love of this, yeah. this uh, contest and everything and, it means. And the performance that he got out of Michael Kidd, oh. you know, who is a choreographer, uh, who incredible. is not, oh, an, not yeah. an actor, but is oh, really? inhabits his part to a point where he seems like a real person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and seems like... A sort of grade B artist who is doing everyone a favor by showing up, but is really annoyed that he has to be there, but then does grow to care for these girls. I mean, it it, it actually was a character because yeah, he was yeah. a legitimate and legitimately great choreographer. So, so he was really playing someone quite different in a funny way, though. Yeah, there was just, I mean, and, and like Barbara Feldon and... I mean, just those performances, Annette O'Toole. I got to work with Annette O'Toole on um, Halt and Catch Fire. Mm. And I actually had brought her name up because she hadn't been cast yet. The, the role hadn't been cast. And um, she was playing Carrie Bechet's mother. And I just said, what about Annette O'Toole? Because I just think there's something about that. There's something so lovely about her. And I think of that performance, and I honestly just wanted the opportunity to say to her in person, like, how much I loved that performance and her talking about keeping the Vaseline on her teeth and (laughs) so that you can keep smiling and how, of course, you want to win, but you pretend you don't want to win. It was such a statement about, like, women and how they are with one another. Just absolutely beautiful film. And then also, like, shot by Conrad Hall and... Was it designed, I think, by Dick Silbert? I think so, yes. Just one of those movies where it's like every frame was so perfect, but it had this effortless quality. So you Almost do- documentary. Totally. Yeah. But yeah. yet, you know, every dress was the perfect shade of pink or coral or, you know, to make it a really beautiful frame. And then that passage, which I, if I could teach a passage about like encapsulating theme- in your movie effectively mm. and efficiently the the interview process with the the potential miss santa rosas where they say why do you want to be 
Miss Santa Rosa and every single, just an amazingly beautifully edited sequence where every single girl says how much they love to help people. (laughs) And it's so funny and so well done. And they talk about their love of animals and the handicapped. And you just get the sense that it's like, but you really understand. And then it all stops when somebody on the committee just says, if you had an unwanted pro- pregnancy, would you oh, consider yeah, getting an abortion? And and just the, the stunned sense of all of a sudden having to live up to some ideal. Yeah. Um, I, it, that passage is just like, you Well, know. do you remember her great answer? Which is, she, she talks about, uh, you know, I had the conversation with my mother recently. Yes. And came to the conclusion that I'm glad I'm not old enough to vote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you're going into politics. Totally, totally. And that performer was so yeah. amazing. Like, yeah. I don't remember seeing much of that actress before or since but but she was so great and and that that movie is somewhat related to like another theme of i think michael ritchie's which is the value of losing you know like bad news bears is one of those movies where it's not about winning that that that's hardly the point of that movie it's actually about just like becoming somewhat competent you know that's the real that's the cool transformation is that they can even catch the ball by the end right and that's a movie that i've watched like a bunch of times now with my 11 year old and it's a little tricky because i have you have to talk about like very highly charged language that is not allowed in movies anymore certainly not for kids kids movies Mm. no and but 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 even though the the language <gasps> is shocking, like the racist slurs and the misogyny and the homophobia, it it's actually it's shocking. But it wasn't like it surprised my son. It just we needed to talk about the fact that there there was a time when this was more permissible to say out loud, and yet it's the 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 manner in which those words are used is actually all about this idea of the underclass being united by the labels, you know? And it just, I don't know, that movie is also pretty sublime. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. Uh, uh, I, I saw that one, I don't remember what year was it, but I was a kid, my grandmother took me. Mm. And that was that was a shocking experience. But that wasn't marketed as a kid's movie. It, but wasn't. it wasn't, but, but it was it had close kids enough that you could get your grandmother to take <laughs> you to it. But it had kids in it, and it was yeah. about baseball, so it was like, okay, yeah. well, it must be for kids. She was she was shocked, and I there's that thing when you're you know whatever ten or eleven and you're watching a movie with your grandmother, and every third word is fuck, where you just you turn beet red and. <laughs> well, but I mean, and it, I guess now we we think of ways to sanitize or make it somehow cute that Buttermaker is this down and out embittered alcoholic, but in that movie, it's actually pretty much just an unapologetic portrait you know it's 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 really like some some slivers of humanity that come out with the Tatum O'Neill character and when you think about that storyline I mean that is in itself such a rare storyline to say okay we're such a losing team I'm gonna find a winning pitcher and it doesn't matter that she's a she even if it's a girl I mean that's like you know that made the film seem so much more relevant for my son to be watching now then quite frankly, a lot of what's out, which remains very much about the primacy of the the, the young male hero, right. you know? Well, it's also not intentionally, it's, it's not an overtly intentional empowerment film. 
Oh God, not at all. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. no. And I mean, but that's what I think makes, makes it, it refreshing yeah. is like, yeah. you know, I'm personally a little bit, you know, I think we're in this moment right now where for me as a filmmaker and, and, you know, one who's survived in the business and has some stamina, I keep getting asked these questions about representation and empowerment. And I get really uh, flummoxed as to how to best answer these questions because for me, a lot of the time, empowerment narratives feel really hard to earn um, in in this culture. How, how so? What do you, I'm, I'm just, I'm... Well, I, I mean, maybe I'm just still emotionally de- devastated, but it's pretty intense to watch Brett Kavanaugh testify sure. For a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court and to see him literally set himself on fire after pouring gasoline on himself and then have everybody go to that broken, smoking husk of a human and say, you know what? We're still going to make you a Supreme Court justice. I mean, that to me was utterly mind blowing. I was like, I was I can't describe the dead rage I felt and feel. You know, it's sort of that felt symbolic to me about so much of where we are right now as a culture, you know, that there's not we'd love for there to be more room for for women who lead and women's lives to matter. But do they, you know, on some bigger institutional level? So the empowerment narrative to me just feels like a Band-Aid on, like, right. okay, so, yeah. an open-heart yeah. surgery, mm. you know? I, I just saw a thing yesterday. I'm still sort of grappling with it. It's uh, Somebody has started a, a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe account to take young girls in the inner city to go see Captain Marvel when it comes out. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, 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 you know, on the one hand, sure. On the other yeah. hand, it's like, let's... Not Wonder Woman? Raise money to send kids to see this giant corporate behemoth film. I know, that, right. Or, yeah, um, I mean, I, it's like, for me, I'm all about just like, why can't we reopen the libraries and make sure that kids get hot lunch on holidays? And, you know, like, that's the stuff that makes me crazy. Or, it's by like, the way, I'm not entirely joking. You know, send them to Destroyer. I mean, at least let, them, <laughs> well, let them see a complex female character. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe I mean, not. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, it's been interesting because I, you know, a lot of the movies I love were not necessarily entirely beloved when they were released, and mm-hmm. so um, my hope is that Destroyer is one of those films for people out there. You know, for those who are like wrestling with it now, right. as opposed to just saying, "Yeah, I really liked it." Um, sure. You know, my hope is that they revisit it at some point. Um, yeah, no, that you know that, that, it, that, like that my hope out. is that it earns yeah. reevaluation. That's all one can hope for anything we make. I think. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then to to go back to to what you just not to make light of it, but you know your description of the Kavanaugh hearings that almost sounds I don't know is it a Michael Ritchie film that somebody needs to make that film? I mean, well, that's the question. <laughs> I mean, I I I mean that's what's really Michael Ritchie 
was very, um, his style really seems to speak to something specific, that verite. It looks so effortless, the verite style, but it feels highly planned and yeah. and thoughtful. And, you know, like I wonder, did how, how much did Robert Altman see Michael Ritchie? Like, did they know each other? Like, I'm curious about the styles that they had and how they might have talked to one another, you know, in, in even in appreciating or potentially not appreciating each other's yeah. movies. But um, there's something to me about Richie's mastery of creating busy environments that have a real liveliness in the sense of real life that um, just feels so underappreciated to me, mm -hmm. you know, and the comedy of all of it. You know, I mean, he I wonder if he's a I mean, I'm curious about him as a person. Like, was he a deeply cynical man? Um, I, I knew him, you know, as, as, as directors know each other, you know, uh -huh. you meet at a function or, you know, whatever. I, I've spent a little time with him and he was a, I just he was a guy who loved movies. He was mm -hmm. very happy that he had the opportunities that he did. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, and he he was never pretentious about articulating some grand vision. Yeah. Uh, he just made Michael Ritchie movies. Yeah. And which is all you can do. I mean, you have to try to make movies that are, are your movies. Your own. That yeah. You, yeah. Well, and then just like rewatching the trailer today for Fletch. I mean, the absurdity of that film and the magic of Chevy Chase's like crazy performance. I mean, there's something really interesting about the fact that he toggled between I want to say slightly more serious treatments of things, but then also, you know, even I think not one of his greatest films at all, but still like a movie I managed to watch on VHS in my early 20s, Wild, Wildcats, and really enjoy and be like, wow, you know, Goldie Hawn is hilarious in this movie. It's kind of a great idea, a, a female coach of a football team. Um, and, and then a movie like Semi-Tough, which is skewering the institution of football yeah. and also having the secondary storyline in semi-tough about self-help storyline about est yeah i mean it's 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 so brilliant when you think about it like and that when, was very topical at the time totally yeah. Oh, yeah totally but but it looks so easy the way he does it like it's not messaged it just he manages to make it look like really effortless architecture and I, I can't say I know if I can even begin to aspire to that, but I do really appreciate it when I see it, you know. Um, and I think it's really interesting that he keeps going back to sports, you know, that that must be saying something to him about America, right. mm -hmm. you know. And we're in this moment where it all just, it's like, you know, a kind of surreal, upside-down nightmare world where well, we're asking. It makes you wonder what he would make of this. Oh. particular version of America. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's why I wanted to bring him up as a yeah. filmmaker because I I would I'm I'm deeply missing his perspective. Well, that's what I say. I wonder if like uh, the Brett Kavanaugh story would be a Michael Ritchie film. Almost, yeah. You know, Is there a way to be affectionate enough with it though be, in his style? With that character? I, it's pretty difficult. Uh, Kavanaugh, I I I I say this as somebody who spent most of the hearings, you know, wanting to throttle my TV. Yeah. But I I think there's a way to there's certainly a, a long cinematic history of characters like that that are sort of mm -hmm. sympathetic that you realize if they were in the real world, you would despise. So I could uh -huh. almost, 
you'd almost play on those kind of tropes in, yeah. in some way. But well, he, but I mean, no, he's loath. I mean, that, he's a neater. That, the problem. Is, that character is so full of self pity and anger. Yeah. Yeah. That I think it would be extremely difficult to make him sympathetic. But there's almost like, I mean, to go to Smile, there's the, the yeah. drunk husband and Smile, totally. you know, could end up being Brett Kavanaugh almost. Or or the Bruce Dern character. <laughs> or the Bruce, Bruce you know, Dern character, for sure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. and it's true that Bruce Dern's character in Smile really does make this transformation into someone who just doesn't see eye to eye with with the, the, the current climate, doesn't yeah. understand why people don't appreciate what he's doing better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that that lack of, that disconnect yeah. is kind of interesting by well, the way. Yeah, that goes back to what I was saying earlier where he's yeah. not a sympathetic character at all, but you do end up finally feeling for him. Yeah. In that moment. But he's also, know. as an actor, he's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, totally. That even when, he's, even when he's playing somebody horrible. Yeah. I mean, you you just you just love seeing him on the screen. You're yeah. like, oh, is he? Hope he comes back in and has another scene. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, and that's I, that's been the key, I think, to his entire career. Is that totally. every time he's every time he's been on screen, he's been like, oh, that guy, he's great. Yeah. Well, he's he's fun. He's always a little scary too when he's doing mundane. Things. I mean, selling people uh, cars, and you're just a little frightened that if it doesn't go his way, it might. Well, I mean, I was actually <laughs> thinking about when I discovered Smile. I was kind of going through this whole like. Michael Ritchie, Bob Rafelson, Hal Ashby kind of kick. And so King of Marvin Gardens, that performance, I, I was like, should I just bring up the King of Marvin Gardens on, on your guys' podcast? But then I was like, oh, you know, I need to watch it again. I don't have the time. But that's like one of those performances where he is right. so scary because you never know if he even... First of all, you never even know if he knows if he's telling the truth. Right. Yeah. And that's yep. a really I wonder who, who does that sound like? Well, but see, but that's <laughs> the thing is I'm I I I just feel like there there's something about a lot of these movies that to me feel like completely related to where we are right now. Yeah. Almost in a way that's <laughs> distressing. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but, I, you, you say scary, I say distressing. I'm it's just that our, our president is an archetype it. character. It's not. My God, there's a, have you seen this thing that, that uh, if this goes nowhere, we'll cut it. But there's somebody put up a clip the other day on Twitter of some obscure Western TV show with Robert Culp. Do you know where I'm going with this? No. I will try to find it and send it to both of you. I haven't seen it. And it's the last couple of minutes. They, they cut it down. And Robert Culp is a lawman in this small town. And there's a guy named Trump who has come to town and is selling people a bunch of lies and Robert Culp's the only guy who knows he's full of shit. And there's a scene with Trump standing in front of a crowd. They're all loving him. And he's talking about building a wall that will keep them safe. Wow. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's, I'm making a note. I'll send it to both of you now, but the, um, uh, and you realize that, that, you know, absent, I mean, it's everyone's sort of freaking out over the Trump thing. Um, but it's not a unique character. You know, it's, it's, we've seen that character many times. We've seen yeah. the Wizard of Oz. We've seen a lot of characters, yeah. but most of them didn't end up running the biggest country in the world. Right. But, and have their finger on a nuclear button. Yeah. That yeah. they could, that they could push just as easily as they reach for a bag of Cheetos. Right. Yeah. Which is probably frequently those yeah, Cheetos. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm more pretty more, sure there's more somebody more there. Yeah. Apparently yeah. when you see them from the back. <laughs> oh God. Oh yeah. No, it's. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's, it's a good point because Richie's, there's just such an interesting edge, a political edge to everything. Yes. But without um, saying I'm a political filmmaker right. or, you know, cause I, I feel like I am sometimes at war with myself as a filmmaker where I have things I want to say, serious things I want to say. And I'm sure sometimes 
even at the point that I'm at, I can say with my relative inexperience as a filmmaker still, you know, like I'm still finding my voice and my way and all of that. And I hope I do that till I stop making films till, you know, I'm cut down by death, but the Reaper, the Reaper, exactly. When the Reaper <laughs> fast approaches, I'm hoping that, um, I will still be searching for myself as a filmmaker in some capacity, but what I love about Richie that I don't know yet if I could even begin to achieve is the lightness, the mm-hmm. sense of a lack of self-seriousness, which is very, yet you feel the artistry of the work. And I just think that's like- Well, a, and you feel sincerity. Total but it's sincerity. Never, but it's never self-serious. No, not at all. And I just think that is so um, refreshing and hard hard to do it almost feels like it's not conscious it's just who he is as a filmmaker that right. lack of pretension it's just his voice it's just his voice yeah. and, yeah. and um and yet there was a real uh there was real shape to his movies like really powerful framing when when you think about the people he he had collaborated with it just feels like he must have been a serious artist and everyone felt that in his presence right. but there wasn't this attitude of um, all hail the king, right. which I also feel like is something refreshing to remind everybody of. Yeah. That, you know, there was a time when you could make movies that really had a point of view. And I mean, if you look at Downhill Racer and Prime Cut and The Candidate and Smile and Bad News Bears and Semi Tough, I mean, when you think of that, that's an extraordinary run of yeah. films. Yep. And I don't know, personally, I just think like, it, did, it sounds like he wasn't a well-known tyrant. And so somehow he's not, or a well-known fuck up. Right. And so somehow he's not a part of the pantheon well, of masters, too, it's, it's, though well, he is one. I, you know, the old saying, death is a bad career move. No. Uh, it, it really, when you're out of the eye. Yeah. Uh, and the movies are not in circulation. I mean, they are in circulation, but they're not, they're just in the great mass of movies. There's not. Right. Uh, and if it wasn't for Turner classic movies, probably nobody would even rerun these pictures. Yeah, no, you're find right. find them on video. So I what, know, but what happens is that, that if you don't have heart? a cult for yeah. you and people who are constantly putting your, putting your name forward and your movies forward, yeah. you tend to, there's a lot of really interesting directors, I think, who aren't uh, very well remembered anymore. Yeah. Uh, except by film buffs. But who, he, he who are your of, top, top, not well remembered, great film? Well, they, they, some of mine weren't even well remembered when they were new. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I've always liked John Farrell, mm-hmm. uh, who made a lot of really interesting pictures um, and had a, 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 a really interesting style. Um, th- there's been uh, any number of, of Edgar Ulmer type yes. characters who you know, do have the following and they do have people who have written monographs about them and all that right. sort of thing. But that's a very small yeah. and, and, and decreasing yeah. uh, group of people because right. the, the, the way that the culture has, has developed, um, that, that slice of people's minds has gotten a lot smaller. Because totally. There's so many other things to fill people's heads with. Yeah. And, and love of movies starts when you're a kid. Yeah. And I don't think very many kids get the movie high that we did when we were going to the movies because that was a big thing to do. And there wasn't a lot of other competition. I mean, I'm I'm old enough that there were only like three channels in New York City. Yeah. uh, And 
and the, you know you went to the you went to the ball game and you listened to the radio and you went to the movies and watched TV. That yeah. was it. Yeah. And everything else. But now there's those are tiny little subsets. Yes. Of a major mo- megalopolis of media. Yeah. Uh, fucking podcast and it's just well yeah but it's just very (laughs) hard podcast and xbox and (laughs) i mean one of the reasons people don't listen to podcasts is they say well you know i just don't have the time and time you know is a a major element and there's much we have much less time now Mm -hmm. than we did when we were younger there were there was those lazy summer afternoons don't exist anymore i mean people are busy on the go they're doing this they're doing that and there there are many many things that allow them to do things faster right and in greater density um, and so the amount of time that you have to devote to any particular filmmaker, uh, particularly one who stopped making movies 20 years ago, yeah. is uh, it's, it's a little harder sell. But I, I do feel like Richie, you know, we've talked about this before, that, I mean, obviously the, the auteur theory tends only to apply or be applied to filmmakers who keep going back to the same well, kind of, which has always driven me nuts as a, as a writer. Mm-hmm. I like to tell different stories, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all I gotta do is have a blonde in every film and mm-hmm. I'm kidding. Hitchcock's brilliant, but you know, mm-hmm. but Richie seems to me to be easier to sell on that. Cause as you say, it's not just a sports, it's, you know, there's this recurring theme of competition and, oh, yeah. and the cost of losing and the cost of winning and yeah, the, the importance cost of, of losing and yeah. the cost of winning. Yeah. 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 Um, even out sure. of Digstown, you know, with that, oh, um, totally. uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on the Kavanaugh thing, but I keep thinking of. If you haven't seen Digstown, just skip ahead 30 seconds. But, you know, the end, I mean, the end of the movie where you're cheering him for cheating. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. It's a great, it's almost as satisfying as, you know, Rocky not winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, yeah. when James Woods does the thumbs down and, and cheats, mm-hmm. it's a big rousing crowd cheering moment. He right. had to be, had to have been aware of, you know. Right. Uh, what a kind of mind fuck that was. Right, but, right. <laughs> but there are these recurring ideas in his films i would think yep. he'd be easier to sell as you know an auteur than a lot of people well maybe maybe it's funny because what joe is saying makes me feel like the point should be that we devote ourselves that we do create a relationship with filmmakers where it can be like a project but like a good project a happy project a, a project you look forward to because like for me thinking about coming to this podcast i just you know went over all of my favorite of his films and right. I just said, you know what? I should just watch all of these again. Yeah, I can't do that this yep. week, but maybe I can start not doing bad, it. Not a bad thing to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not fun. at all. I mean, it's, it's like, and I think when I look back at my early days as a filmmaker, I would say the thing that really distinguishes it from right now is that I probably saw at least a movie a day. Right. And there was a sense of religious study to it. Yes, I agree with that. Yep. And and to not get to do that is it's lonely, it's frustrating. Somehow I get angry about the 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 the, the way we skate across the critical conversation around movies now that it's just noise and glitz and you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. maybe I just need to it's so funny cuz I I had just recently bought the already out of stock to its credit criterion collection of every Bergman film. Right. You know, and wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to take some slogging. It's going to take some, (laughs) it's going to take some slogging through and there's going to be a lot of returning to certain themes for sure. 
But I should do the same for Michael Ritchie. I should do the I should do that for the films that don't have the criteria. I almost, yeah, collection. sort of make your own box. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I should treat my understanding of film film scholarship as like the non Criterion version. Much as I love Criterion, don't get me wrong, but I should try to give the same amount of time and attention because those are actually the movies that I that I did grow. Those Michael Ritchie movies were the movies that I was young enough to be crazily passionate about, but also old enough to appreciate the larger sophistication of the work. And I should be watching all of those again. Well, but I, I, don't you find that as, uh, as you get older, you do find yourself returning to the movies that were, that, the movies that quote that made me? Uh, Absolutely. You know, it, it, I was just clicking around the other day and the sweet smell of success came yeah. on. And Alexander McKendrick is certainly a director who falls into that category. Yeah, totally. That. Very much. Yes, uh, totally. And there's just a certain formal elegance to that movie that is mm. unique to that particular yes. picture. Yes, The casting, the locations, I mean, the, 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 the music, I mean, everything about it is, it's unique. And yes. of course, it didn't make a dime when it came out. Yeah. Uh, very few people even know, even though it stars a big movie star, very few people have seen it or know about it. Right. Um, but it's a movie that, like so many that I've seen, that I just fall into the thrall of. Yeah. When I watch it, yeah. It's just like if I, it doesn't matter where I click it on. Oh, okay, I'll watch this. Totally. Face in the crowd, also another picture like yep. that. Yeah. Yep. It came on just the other day, a picture that's yep. increasingly relevant in our times. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're just they're 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 not comfort food because they're disturbing movies. Yep. But they're comfort food in the sense that they're it's a world that we understood when we were growing up mm -hmm. and when we were deciding that this is what we wanted to do with our lives. Mm -hmm. And the inspirational is the only word that I can use. I mean, it's I just, funny for me of the older films, it's sorry, wrong number. <laughs> I, I, you know, just the, like the, the sense that you're like bedridden and already embittered and feel like the world is out to get you. And then you, you get <laughs> cro your line gets crossed with somebody else's and it's like, Oh, in fact, the world is out to get me <laughs> and I'm a sitting duck now. I mean that there was something about that movie that like, if that movie's on, same with like a Mildred Pierce, you know, like oh, if those movies are on, I'm just like, yeah, I just need to sit here and keep watching this. Yeah, nice. And then I feel the same way about, you know, seven or point break or, but, but of the older films, it's right. funny when you can just start wa or Sunset Boulevard, you know, you just start watching it and you just say, why would I leave my chair? And also the, <laughs> the, 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 to appreciate these pictures, to just appreciate the craft that went into them and the, the moments that have become so indelible in your life. Oh. Well, when you watch, I mean, Sunset Boulevard is a great example. I mean, every scene is good. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you're supposed to have, what, five good scenes and no bad ones or something? Yeah. That was yeah, the yeah, idea. Yeah. Well, every scene. Yep. Yeah. Is, I, think, I think it was Wilder who actually said that. But every scene in that picture is, is, is a terrific scene. Totally. It's like, just pick one. Totally. Well, and it's still, it's still relevant and real. I mean, yeah. th there's something about making movies that don't feel dated no matter when they were made mm -hmm. that is such an achievement you know i watched a movie recently i was in new york and i went to film forum and i was watching this jacques rivette film called la religieuse and it was banned i guess in france by the catholic church mm -hmm. when he made it and it's anna karina like ridiculously beautiful just ri ridiculously beautiful and basically the the text of the movie is she's so beautiful she has to be put in a convent by the time she's 15 or 17 or something. 
and she's like, I'm, I believe in God, but I just don't want to be in a convent. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, there's so much homoerotic tension and this sense that basically every convent is just a bunch of like, you know, wildcatting lesbians in, in, in robes. Right. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Like it's a, it's a pretty, um, it, it doesn't work completely for me as a movie and it's far too intellectual, but there was just something about seeing a movie that was still about something that's real now, which is, you know, like I turned over, turned and looked at my friend and I just said, I guess the theme of this movie is back then women didn't have a lot of options and, and, and here's you, one of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, but it really was like destitute on the street, penniless prostitute or the convent. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're lucky, we'll sell you off to a husband. But but we're always selling you off somewhere, even right. to the street, to get rid of you. And so, um, I don't know, it was just funny to see that movie and then that still actually, be that, talking about all of this stuff now. <laughs> that that goes to the question I was about to ask, because, yeah, I do think of those films as comfort food, but you think about how, you know, Sweet Smell of Success, I mean, really what's bitter, changed bitter is pill. the sets and all. <laughs> but what you just described is actually a film that you watch and, and you can go as bad as things are. They have gotten somewhat better for yeah. people. But for so many of the people. films that we've been talking about, how, I mean, I'm with you. I agree they're comfort food, but how is it comforting to watch a 50 year old movie and realize that people are exactly as fucked up now as they were then? Well, I think <laughs> it's just, it's just reflect on how, how accurately the movies read people. People, yeah. human beings are people. They, yeah. they're, they're, they, they don't really, they're types. They don't change that much. I mean, the, yeah. the world around them changes and right. that changes a lot of the way they behave. But basically people are, are who they are. And the, in the, in the humanity of movies is one of the reasons that we're so attracted to them. Totally. And when we think about our love, our shared love of genre, our inhumanity, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a way to be confirmed that while we might be highest on the food chain, we are by no means the noblest. And it's really, it's funny. It's like the past couple of years, we we took in a dog that is our dog. I make it sound like he's a boarder, but he is now <laughs> our dog. And he had a unfortunate upbringing on the streets of Costa Rica. And long story short, every trainer who's ever worked with him based on the scars on his face has said, humans have done some really terrible things to this dog. And he, you know, has a lot of behavioral issues and it's kind of like, you know, I went to Santa Monica Boulevard and picked up a 14-year-old hustler and said, you want a hot meal and a private education? (laughs) And uh, yeah, sure, mom. And they get in the back seat. And then two weeks later, I realized, oh, this is, this is going to be interesting. But in any case, I, I needed. The unmade Michael Ritchie movie. (laughs) That's really funny. That's so true. Star or or Bob Rafelson or Hal Ashby or yeah. now Lisa Chilodenko. Um, but in any case, I was really struck with the like um the immediate understanding that that no species is worse to their own species and to other species than humans. And it really clarified something for me. It was like this strange aha moment. For me as a filmmaker, because I've been really having to interrogate, like, what is my, why do I go to these topics that are, get really grim and, and really violent and, and there's a merciless quality sometimes to the way, to the material I'm interested in. And I'm just like, why, what is wrong with me? But I think it has something to do with the fact that I don't know, 
I mean, I believe we're capable of so much more, but I feel so much evidence that we're not. But I see, I see that in, a, in Destroyer. I mean, it's, yeah. it's right there. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. But, you know, when because you're... Because you, people... Why would somebody choose to make a movie about that story? Mm-hmm. You know? And you, you just answered it. Yeah. But there's also... there's Because I was sitting here thinking about that, because um, you've got... You know, there are some hopeful elements in there. Oh, sure. Certainly. But, and I, yeah. and I'm I mean, wondering, they come at a include, very high cost, but yeah. And I don't want to, I certainly don't mean to ban I have not seen it yet. I'm looking forward to it because I find I either absolutely despise this guy's movies or I love them. Um, the new Lars von Trier film. Like, is that the, the Matt Dillon thing? Does that call your name? Because my guess is that's pretty relentlessly nihilistic. That does not grim. call my name. So, so the films you're talking about, because yeah. I, I, I guarantee you, I mean, we, I look at your, Trailers from Hell commentaries. Like I yeah. said, you steal all my movies. <laughs> and I think all of those films, there's always something in there. There's always some kind of redemptive quality. Yeah. I personally, I like it when it's sort of hidden. I don't like a movie that makes you, you know, I yeah. don't like a crime film that goes, everything's okay. But I like the fact that you can find little moments of grace and hope in them. Oh, for sure. And, and yeah, because you're not talking about movies that leave you hopeless. You're talking about movies that actually find, as you do in Destroyer, I think, a ray of hope in what yeah, seems like a hopeless maybe. world. I think, but it's like, the again, the reason I brought up Michael Ritchie was I felt like he was making movies that spoke to very chaotic, and at the time, I think people would say kind of catastrophic times, right? I mean, early 70s sure. into the mid-70s where a lot of those great films were made, and yet there was this buoyancy even to the chaos and the catastrophe that just seemed open-hearted. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Like, I'm just like, so how did he keep such an open heart? Like, I, I see it in the films. And I'm just trying to figure out yeah. well, I don't, what was I don't, his secret. He didn't always keep it because uh, uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen The Island. I was curious about that one because that's one of the few in his filmography that I have not seen. Well, that, I watched I, the I crazy trailer. I, I saw it last I year. I wouldn't run right out. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, it's and it's his least personal movie. It doesn't. It, it, uh-huh. To me, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, it, that, that feels like a job. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes we just need to pay of course. the bills. Of course. And that was a pay the bills movie. And and unfortunately, what is the menace? I couldn't quite understand it. In this, they're pirates. It's they're pirate pirates. Movie. They, they pirates oh. who've been living on this island for centuries and okay. breeding and. I mean, it's, that's kind of a cool idea. Oh, no, it's a, it's a cool <laughs> idea. It's a cool idea. It's just, it not, just it's not a good yeah. idea. Okay, okay. Uh, and, and I, if so, if, you don't if, need it in your box set. And Because if, <laughs> if, if you just turned it on and you say, well, who, made, who made this picture? Because usually you can tell after a couple of scenes who, if you are following somebody's work. Yeah. It's anonymous. It's not, it does no, no richiness to it. Yeah. Well, I want to ask then in that same vein, because I have only seen the film once. You brought it up earlier. I was a huge fan i mean I'm, i was obsessed with the books and i still think there's a great movie in them and i try not to be and i certainly if i saw it today i wouldn't be quite as much of a loyalist and a literalist but fletch drove me fucking insane because it's nothing like the book and oh, chevy uh-huh. chase is great in a million things he ain't fletch and and i just remember sitting there the whole movie going god and so i've never uh-huh. gone back and seen it again which i like to do with something like that because now, well, I, you're not, now your prejudices are, are, are gone. Now yeah. I know it's not that. Yeah. I mean, does that, when when you talk about it, I mean, does that feel like a Richie film to you? Is it is it a lesser Richie film? There's is something it? about... Well, she already said it was a lesser Richie film. I, I, oh, I did. Okay. I, oh, okay. oh, oh, Sorry, I oh yeah. I don't think it's... I, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, not up, it's not up there with the, right. the run that, to me, kind yeah, of it, ends at semi-tough, but mm. still, I mean... 
five or like, six movies in a row. Well, it's like it Frankenheimer had the same run. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. In, the, in the early sixties to the through the mid sixties, and then all of a sudden, the extraordinary seaman happened, and, and it just <laughs> he didn't come back. <laughs> maybe maybe titles like that kill you forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, um, <laughs> but but there is something to the absurdist yeah. comedy that feels. Um, I don't know. It feels like he's present. It the does. filmmaker okay. is present in right. some way. Right. Um, so I keep thinking I need to go back and give it a give it a chance. Yeah, um, I, I mean, student bodies to me is like a really fascinating experiment. I don't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a very fun. Movie. Yeah, and 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 you know, he kills the women with an eggplant. I mean, it's so amazingly. It's so trauma like. It's so dumb, but but it's 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 really saying yes. It's so it's as dumb as all the movies. Other, it's making yeah, fun of. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. But 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 also then with a real sense of how they end up working when they right. work, which is kind of cool. Here is there anything to be because I I um I saw it you know when it came out I was a hardcore rock and roll and punk rock kid and somehow I don't know how I ended up at a Bette Midler concert film. Oh yeah, Divine Madness. You but, should totally check it out. Oh no, no, I've seen it. I, oh. I loved it. Maybe I was like, I walked out of going, oh, she's great. But I wonder, do you think, I mean, we've got two directors in the room, I'm sure you've seen it. Did, did he bring anything to that or is that just her kind of, you know? Well, it's hard to say with concert I mean, that's films a, because it it's, concert films are so dependent on who you're on photographing. Who you, yeah. Uh, but you can tell but, like, stop but, making but, sense. But, where there's, for the last waltz, I mean, if, Mar if Marty made that movie, that would look the way it does. If, yeah. if somebody else made it, if Larry Pierce right, made right. the movie, yeah. it wouldn't be the same movie and yeah. it probably right. wouldn't be as good. But I'm just I feel like with Divine Madness, what you understand is his, what I felt from it, and I don't know at all what the relationship was or is, but, or was, um, a deep appreciation for her. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's like post-smile, which at the time smiled to me. I was just like, this guy kind of has true empathy for for females, mm. and I really feel that in Divine Madness. Uh, sure. So I mean, there's some part of him operating there. More more empathy than Don Siegel had and Jinx. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, see, and then like that's a really fascinating example of like. A fascinating career. Well, I think that's just the wrong the, the the wrong project for the wrong for the wrong director. I mean, Don Siegel was a wonderful director. Oh, but, incredible! But uh, that picture is ill starred. I believe is the phrase. Right. It's know. isn't it Ken Wall? I think. Yeah, yeah I think, it, I think yeah. it's Ken Wall. And I remember reading. I think it was like a Pauline Kael review that it was like Wall sounds about right, and I was like, oh. That's too bad. <laughs> oh, that's, that's too bad for that good. performer because I good. I think he was also in the Wanderers, the Wanderers and I loved him in the Wanderers. He was great on Wise Guy. Looking at him, he so was a great TV star too. Right, right. So um, there you go. Yeah, that's, funny. Uh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> um, and then I mean, do you want to? I mean, I'd love to go back and just just sort of kick Prime Cut around a little bit if you're still because I, I love yeah. that film. I mean, that, and that seems odd. I'm surprised that movie hasn't some resurfaced. Way, well, resurfaced as a genre picture. Yeah. You know. Because it has two really big stars in it, plus the young. It's uh, it, it's a it's a it's in a bunch of pictures made by Cinema Center Films, which was a uh, subsidiary of CBS. And for whatever reason, 
that whole block of films is fairly unknown today and it has not been exploited very much. The hard, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I could be wrong, though, but I mean, my Blu-ray is one I got a year and a half ago and it's German. You could not get it over here. It, I, it has been out. Is there been an American version? Been out, but, okay, uh, but, it's but it's not it's, a it's film. A, that... It's an obscure movie, yeah. which is surprising because it's very entertaining. Yeah. Oh, and my it's God. It's so commercial. It's, it, I think it's in, in a funny way, like, and it's strange that he did it right after Downhill Racer. I mean, he was obviously wanting to try something completely different, which it is. Mm. And it's like, also just that thing of like the the younger Gene Hackman and then Lee Marvin. To me, that was like introducing someone like me to a slightly a kind of a different kind of movie star, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, with a whole different style of acting and a whole different way of you know that the mis- the mystery of sort of not giving much away of yourself even yeah. remotely. And just I think I saw it first because I I had as a kid had as a kid I was disappointed in in Point Blank because it's not mm-hmm. what you think it's going to be and mm-hmm. and but I love the idea of it so much and then I saw I Prime Cut see the remake and Prime <laughs> Cut is I love the remake Are you I love both of them but but um, uh, no I love the Mel Gibson uh, but um, uh, it's it's Prime Cut was, I think, the movie I wanted Point Blank to be uh-huh. when I was a kid. Somehow. That's interesting. It's Does funny because sense? the way I got introduced to Prime Cut was a friend of mine, a roommate of mine at, a t- at the time when I was like living in this crazy communal household. He said, oh, my God, I found a VHS video of a movie that I think I've seen when I was like four in the drive-in with my parents. Mm. And I was in the backseat and they just wanted us. To go me, to sleep. Me and my sister to just go <laughs> to sleep. But I just sat in the back seat and just like have this memory of being really freaked out by this movie. And I have this memory of women in, in those pens. In yeah. pens. Yeah. And I can't I I can't remember if it happened or if it was just a bad dream. <laughs> and we watched the movie and I said, Well, Roger, yeah. there you go. There's wow. Sissy Spacek yeah. in a bale of hay. Um it happened, and he was like, "It's as crazy as I remembered it." Like, and that's interesting when you see a movie as a kid, yeah. and it 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 imprints on you, and you kind of have to hunt it down to yeah. figure it out. I mean, that that's disturbing, and the in a whole different way. There's just a lot of scenes of people eating plates of disgusting, disgusting meat. meat. Yeah, right. Not and then steak, the, the subtext, plate, yeah, guts. I think they, and the subtext is, is it animal? Or, right. yeah. or is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is this kind of criminal America at this point just a bunch of cannibals? Which right. is such a cool <laughs> subtextual mm-hmm. thing because it feels very like um, pretty racy for Richie when you consider the films he made after yeah. Prime Cut. Actually, that's a prime remake, I would think. Yeah, I would think. But as we were saying, I don't yeah. think you can do that movie today. Because, of it, because it's, I mean, tell me though, do you think it's that it's... um. It's not too grisly, is it? I mean, no. I I think that the. I mean, do you liken it to like Straw Dogs or Deliverance in terms of this you'd adjust, cultural politics? Well, you'd adjust the stuff with the young women. Certainly, you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to do it that way. And then, I mean, for for good reasons. And then there'd probably be that thing where you'd have to give Sissy Spacek more agency than she's got. Yeah, which, but what does that make a, every Taken franchise? I mean, isn't yeah. that exactly what? we're talking about yeah but maybe that's why they're not doing it because it's already been done uh-huh 
And there's always the scene right. where like the daughter smacks the guy in the face for five seconds just to tell you that she's not a, you know, whatever. You'd have to give her at least that. But right. But right. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that would be the thing you'd really have to lose is is pens full of and it's not a long it's not a long it's only 80 minutes so but that's the most interesting thing is going to get shorter and shorter that's true yeah i mean those women the 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 women being treated like cattle animals yeah or you know farm animals that is the most vivid and memorable part of the yeah it's a powerful kind of thing to say make it in the midwest and but now you can't say things that need to be said because they are. Yeah, it's an interesting. The surface of them is so shocking. Or yeah, I guess yeah. I that's back to empowerment narratives. This is yeah. my this is my conversation back and forth with this stuff. I you could. Uh huh. No, I mean you. No, that's, there, there's that, a certain that's true. license that, that would that, take a lot of the edge off the idea. Yeah, because if it uh-huh. came from a woman director, there would be a sense that oh, maybe it's not what it appears to be on the surface. I but have. Do you know what's I really funny? When it. I made Jennifer's Body, there were some critics who were female who just sort of bought the marketing hook, line, and sinker, and bought the framing of the film, and allowed that framing to be. A, an accurate representation of the movie itself who basically just said, Oh, look at the cynical exploitative mm-hmm. bid by this nobody female director. It was a little bit like reliving one of the characters in Jennifer's body, just back in high school getting dismissed <laughs> by some queen bee. But, <laughs> oh, um, God, yeah. but it was really kind of fascinating because it was just like, uh, have you seen the film? Like, I mean, did it really seem to you that I was, um, exploiting these characters it was stunning to me that in the end even even as a woman and even with a female screenwriting kind of you know creative collaborator yeah the attitude was the attitude was we were just in it to like make a buck and i was just like mortified i just felt like you know wow i hope i hope to be great is to be misunderstood (laughs) because you know It was really one of those moments, but in it. Yeah, that's interesting. It was a bummer. It was yeah. a bummer. So I wonder how easily we can now, I wonder if we just are in such a self-policing Well, we mindset. are, but, but also, you know, as we were saying before, um, the time a movie comes out has a lot to do with its yes. reception. Yes. And uh, I always believe that you can't judge the worth of a movie by the first time you see it uh, when it's a new movie in that world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all the movies that that I love, most of the movies I love, were movies that were not successful when they yep. first came out, or, yep. or they were misunderstood, yep, uh, or misinterpreted, yep. And then as as the years went on, and you go back and you go, wow, I see now what they were doing because I see what's happened since, mm-hmm. and I see where this fits in. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole idea of film study. Yeah, is to put everything in context, and that's yeah. why I think filmmakers who have had a lot of have made a lot of uh, seen a lot of films tend to make more informed and interesting movies than yeah. people who don't. And I'm not saying that you just can't, you know, pick up your cell phone and make a great movie and not have ever seen a movie before. You can. But I right. think in, in the context of all the movies that, that exist, you, you can place yours, I think, more interestingly if you've got all this background to draw on. I agree. I mean, I feel like it's so important, you know, that's what we're all doing is living our student life as... Of, of movies, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I mean. And I'm we're s- continuing a tradition. Absolutely. You know? Oh, my God. Absolutely. I mean, it's really scary to me when I meet young people 
who've never seen a Roman Polanski film. Don't even, haven't even heard his name. Or... Or he's a rapist. Or, or <laughs> just... I won't see his movies. Or just, well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, frankly, it's, that's been fascinating um, sea change in that we can just... The, the notion that we completely judge art by its maker is so hard for me to stomach because then I don't know what any of us would really be no watching. No more Wagner. Oh, no, I mean, <laughs> no but I mean and you know, I that I couldn't have made Destroyer without going to see the ring cycle, you know, more than once. I you know, like I I I I just I don't know how you I don't know how you um can be an artist without confronting the mistakes of the artists you mm -hmm. love. Which make them the artists they are. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But so to say, you know, oh, Rosemary's Baby is like one of those movies that, that that's a movie that made me, you know, like I yeah. have to have that movie kind of, I have to screen that movie for myself regularly because it's... It's as perfect a movie as I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, I'm, I, it's... It, and and we need to see those movies and we need to be reminded afresh of why they are perfect. And part of what makes it perfect is that it's a incredible feminist film made by a guy who raped a 13 year old. I mean, it's, yeah. it's dark, mm -hmm. but it's dark for, for real reasons that show on the screen mm -hmm. masterfully. And so when I meet young people who are in film school who have not seen that movie, and then say they want to make horror films or say that they want to make feminist films. Right. I'm just like, well, what are we talking about here? What kind of films? If you haven't seen a movie as classic as that. I mean, it's one. even, it's even in color. Yeah. 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 You don't have to get yeah. to Oh God. <laughs> God. I but, it, and then, but then there's the, yeah, then they're refusing. My, my sister-in-law has a line. I, it's not hers, I'm sure, but it's just sort of catch all. It's like judge the work, not the jerk. <laughs> and it's, funny. That's it's funny. I've always found that very easy. It's not, I go, yeah, sure. If uh, Not that he's going to, but, you know, if Polanski called today, I'd want to be like, yeah, hey, I, I can't work with you. But I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go home and watch Chinatown, though, and yeah, 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 <laughs> love yeah. it all over again. Yeah. But I don't want to spend time with you or enable you. That's a different, that's a different thing. But, um, yeah, it's weird. I'm still sort of hung up on the fact that you caught that heat for Jennifer's body. I would think that. Yeah, it was weird. It's. You well, know. but it was it was interesting then to be reminded of the multiple kind of messagings that we get as consumers of culture all the time. And the thing that we have the hardest thing doing, it kind of gets back to what Joe is talking about, is having the time yeah. to watch something the way it was meant to be seen, the way a lot of us continue to believe we want our films to be seen on a big screen, with an audience in a dark room, great sound, and the collective experience informs your viewing experience, and and you're committing to sitting in that chair and not getting up and like reheating a fucking slice of pizza or taking a call or feeding your cat, right. whatever. None I'm of sure that. <laughs> I know, but I guess what I'm saying is, I just feel like that that experience is the thing we need to be making room for just, I think, to find our humanity. And I don't even mean that in a self-serious way. I mean that like in the most basic way. Like if we can't sit for two hours and commune with something bigger than us on the screen, where what are we doing here? You know, like it all just feels 
So I don't know. I'm just in this m moment of <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I said this is a, you know, every now and then you just get that perfect moment of like, well, there you go. Yeah, we can check out now. <laughs> I, mean, it's, uh, I can't. I can't think of a way to top that. <laughs> Sort of summation of what we're trying to do here every time. We, oh, well, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah. I, I mean, wouldn't it be great to just devote your life to watching movies? I think it's called retirement. <laughs> I, well, you know what? If that's what retirement looks like, I'm going to really appreciate it. Because uh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny that you bring up Friedkin at the beginning because I'm working with a you guy. You bad mouth exorcist too? It's all the rage. No, no, no. But I'm working. Everyone's I'm, doing it. I'm working with a guy who um, is making a movie about him right now, a documentary. Oh, um, that'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, and you'll certainly get opinions. Yes. He did not do drugs with John Belushi. But, <laughs> but in the it sounds like in all of the series of interviews, what has come out is that Friedkin still watches a lot of movies. Oh yeah. And that that is part of his. Yeah. Life mm -hmm. to just ingest movies, yep. and I just feel like you know Brother if Rat. I can if I can die and get through half of the Criterion collection of all the Bergman movies, I mean, that's you know that's like reading Ulysses or <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or yeah, that's just, actually I felt like I achieved a level of maturity when I I passed on it during the last Barnes and Noble sale because I thought honestly it will sit there right. And I have so many other things I know, that I, I will know, get to. But I'm trying and, to imagine this moment where I've like got like right. my leg up in a cast or sure, something. And yeah. I just, all I can do is <laughs> right. watch movies. Or, yeah, after the stroke that's left you all I, there. Oh, yeah. But, you I'm know, hoping it's that. just my leg up in a cast. <laughs> and so, and so <laughs> you'll, you'll be inundating yourself with man's search for God. Yeah. yeah <laughs> the exactly. fact that God doesn't answer. I have, I have a <laughs> box set this big. I'm, I'm, my arms are very wide apart. It's, it's all the BBC Shakespeare's on DVD. Okay. And for years, I play this game of like, do I watch them in the order of production or do I watch them in the order in which he wrote them? And because I can't decide, I and will they, watch none of them. Exactly <laughs> right. And then I go throw on my German Blu-ray of Prime Cut again. Right, and, right, right. And right, uh, sure. I'm very happy. But I look at it and it makes me feel terrible. And I right. just thought, I don't And you're like, another. I'll just start with Polanski's Macbeth. Yeah. You, <laughs> you need these guilt objects. I know. I, I need to place them in different places around the house. There's no place in my house I can't go where, where there's something just staring at me, making me feel like I've failed. It's, it's you know. You, we could always take you, some time off and I listen to a podcast. Yeah. I thought you loved me. Watch me. Read the giant book that came with me. Like, I, it's a great looking book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if only we had all the time in the world, which I'm, maybe I'm hoping should someone be the gets goal. it for my birthday this year. That would be, uh, but. I always say that the goal of my life is to do nothing. That that I'm trying to get to a place where if I can just achieve a, a sort of surprise 15 minutes or half an hour or four days where I do nothing, oh. I will be really, really happy. That's so zen. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm realizing it's what I, I'm wanting. I'm wanting to have like no feedback so that I can. Well, you're certainly it. in the right business for that. <laughs> But did you have to think? Do we have to, there's this thing with time, and we're we're gonna we have to let you go in a minute. But Speaking I remember um, in the early days of VHS, uh, late late high school, and 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 shortly after, my friend John and I on weekends would go down to the video store and we'd rent VHS movies for five dollars each or whatever it was, mm -hmm. and somehow we'd come home with a stack of them, and we could watch all of them and eat a pizza in a night. We could watch four or five movies oh, in a yeah. night. 
And somehow when I do the math of how many hours there are at a movie and how many hours there are tonight, it doesn't add up. And yet somehow you were able to, is it just me? I can't watch five movies in a night now. I don't know. Oh, how, I, I don't know how to do three. Yeah. It's, no, it's hard. Every now and then I can do a double feature, but why is that? Because when you're younger, I, I, used to, I, I, I remember seeing seven movies in a day. Oh yeah. You know, that was and, my right. And it was seven, exciting. Yeah. And it would yeah. go to the movies and there would be a double feature and then there'd be the, the go to another double feature and then you'd go home and watch two Sherlock Holmes movies. And then, mm -hmm. you know, and before you knew it, it was like, well, it's, it's one o'clock in the morning and I, I didn't eat anything today. And you I got to get up early so I can start <laughs> watching movies again. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe if we stop doing this podcast. Well, that would give us an extra hour. It gives us an extra hour a week. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. I could fit two films in there. Um, Karen, Karen, thank you. Thank you so much thank uh, you. for coming. Thank you. It was super, an absolute super blast. fun. I enjoyed it so and, much. And uh, we'll all go back and watch all our Michael Ritchie films. Right on. <laughs> well, that was the mission. If nothing else, I mean, come on. That'll, that'll yes. uh, let's jumpstart some interest in some of these. That was the mission. Exactly. So, everybody well, you, out there. Please. You have succeeded. Please watch some Michael Ritchie movies, please. Fantastic. Thank you. Our show was recorded in Hollywood, California at Crossroads of the World. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. You want the ultimate, you gotta be willing to pay the ultimate price. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.